been studying through the book of Colossians. Uh, where we are in the book of Colossians is in chapter 3, and we would normally be ready to talk about husbands and wives and children and parents and uh, bosses and employees. Uh, and we will get there next week. Um, I, I don't normally do this. I don't normally respond to events that are happening in our culture, but there are some things going on right now in our world and, uh, and within the church that we need to address. And so I'm going to take us, instead of Colossians, a couple of uh, pages back in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, uh, to chapter 2, and talk about, instead, the unity of the body of Christ and how Jesus Christ has brought together all kinds of different people. So let's, uh, let's do pray uh, and ask God's blessing on the study of His Word. So if you join me. God, our Heavenly Father, we're about to look at Your Word, and Father, we know that Your Word is holy and powerful and transforms lives by Your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that as we open it up, that it would transform us. Help us, Father. We need your presence in this place at this time as a country and more importantly as your people. Uh, Father, as people who are called out of darkness into the light of membership in God's family, Father, we need to live out the gospel. We pray you would help us to do that, Father, today in response to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning verse 11. This is what the text says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off in peace, to those who were near. And through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Now, as you look at verse 11, it begins with the word therefore, and as I have said many times to a point that many of you can probably say it with me, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to see what it's therefore. All right. And uh, you know you've been paying attention. This is a word that draws a conclusion from what went before it. A word that draws a conclusion from what went before it. And what went before it? Well, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, you'll see it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works that no one can boast. And then you'd also see verse 10. That we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. These are verses about the gospel and about the implications thereof. That, that in other words, because this is true, because it's by grace you have been saved through faith, then you should do good works. And the order of those verses is critically important. It's not that you do good works in order to be saved. Amen? It's that you, having been saved, then do good works. And and you need to see the gospel-centered basis of everything that is going to follow these verses. Uh, You get chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This is the gospel that saves you. Uh, Chapter 10, I mean, chapter 2, verse 10. This is the result of that, that you would do good works, and then you get a much longer explanation of some of the good works that you're to do. Because Christianity, men and women, is not moralism. Moralism is where somebody makes you up a list and says, do these good things, and don't do these bad things. What Christianity is, is it says, as a result of having been saved by the grace of God, do these things. Out of love for God and out of a transformed heart towards your neighbor. Christianity is not moralism. It is a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered relationship with God and other people. And everything that we do or don't do has its foundation in the gospel. And at a fundamental level, one of the things that is critically important is unity in the body of Christ in the diversity of people that are within it. And as you look at this, as you look at these verses closely, we need to see three things in them. First of all, verses 11 and 12 are about remembering who you were. If I could put it a little more colloquially, remembering the pit from which you were dug. If you look at them, you'll see that Paul is addressing Gentile Christians. The people the Jews referred to as, quote, the uncircumcised. It was a shorthand term for Jews. It was a way of them of them dismissing a whole group of essentially the rest of the world. Anybody who was not from their nation, anybody who was not of their ethnicity, 
anybody who didn't speak their language, who didn't keep their law, who didn't enjoy access to their covenants. And the, un, and the uncircumcision of their bodies, the Jew felt, pointed to the condition of their lives, that they were unclean people, that they were people who embraced all the sins that the law forbids, including worshiping gods other than the one true God. And even though circumcision was a right, that was performed by hands in the body and does not affect your soul. Many Jews in Paul's day felt that it did. And so there was a division, Jew and Gentile, even within the church. In fact, many of the letters that we have in the New Testament address that very issue of division within the church between the people of God. People of one heritage and people of another. And Paul says that in some ways that does reflect something real. Because when these Gentile Christians were unbelievers, they really were separated from Christ because of their lack of faith in Him. They really were alienated from the covenants, I mean, from the commonwealth of Israel, and they really were strangers to the covenant of promise, meaning they didn't share membership in God's covenant people. They weren't fellow citizens with God's people, they were foreigners. Now, we don't typically use the word alien unless we mean like little green men from Mars, right? Or maybe unless it is preceded by the word illegal in our context. But in the ancient world, there was not so much immigration law as, as what we think of it. What you had was you had people who were citizens of a place, and then you had everybody else. And if you were a citizen, you enjoyed full rights and full access to the courts and the ability to own property and all of these things. And if you were an alien, a non-citizen, then you were essentially a nobody. And you had no rights. None whatsoever. That any citizen was bound to, expect, to respect. And when Paul is saying about us Gentiles, is that we were aliens and foreigners to the covenant of God. We had no rights any aspect of God's promises. And we were cut off from Israel, and that meant we were cut off from God as well, without hope and without God in the world, the Scripture says. Because salvation came through the Jewish nation, just like Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Salvation came through the Jew. And prior to Jesus coming, if you wanted a relationship with God, then you had to come through the Jewish nation. You had to become one of them. You had to get circumcised if you were a man, and then you had to uh, keep the sacrifices and obey the laws and abide by the moral standards of conduct as a result of your faith in their God. Because salvation was always by faith in the one God, but the the 
various aspects of the covenant have changed from what they were. And because they were cut off from Israel, they were cut off and they were dying. And they were without hope and they were going to hell. That's who they were. That's who we were. If you were a person who has come to faith in Jesus, this is your story too. That you were without hope and without God in the, in the world. You were, uh, in fact, headed for hell on a rocket and either didn't know or didn't care. And so was I. That's who we were. But, there's this glorious contrast between who we are and who we were. And you see this, this glorious contrast, verse 13 to 18, you get all of the things that Jesus achieved. And it's, quite, it's this incredible list. Look at the text. It's amazing. It's, verse 13 tells us that we who were, even though we were far away from God, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us has brought us near to Him. And in bringing us near to Jesus, it has brought us near also to one another. Verse 14 tells us that Christ is our peace. Christ is our peace. Anybody in the last 84 days wanted a moment of peace? Wanted a moment of rest? Christ is our peace. With His death, Christ permanently, permanently ended the division between Jew and Gentile, and that was a big one. It was a big one. As I said, many of the New Testament letters write to it because it was such a big one to get over even for people who were Christians. The text tells us that Jesus has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. You may not know this, but when the temple was still standing, there was a literal wall. We have found through archaeology fragments of that wall, including this inscription, that anyone who is a Gentile who passes beyond this door, separating the court of the Gentiles from the court of Israel. The people of God from those who would like to be. Anybody who goes through this gate who isn't a Jew will be put to death. And that wall symbolized the reality that there was a division. And it became a point of hostility of mutual hostility between Jews and Gentiles because Jews kept the law and despised the Gentiles who did not, and Jesus tore it down. Verse 15 goes further, explaining that in His death, Jesus not only tore down the hostility, He abolished the Mosaic law that fueled the division in the first place. Why did He do that? So that He might create one new man one new humanity in place of the two making peace. 
In other words, the point that, that Paul is making here is that Jesus established peace between every kind of people in his death because he wanted to create one new people of God from all the different kinds of people that there are. One new people. One. And the point is, is that whatever might divide us from one another, whatever it, it might be, is transcended by our union with Christ. And there's more to it than that. If you look at verse 16, in doing all these things, Christ also reconciled us to God in one body, meaning that He united us together in the body of Christ and that together as that one body we have peace with God and with one another. Peace with God and with one another. Verse 17 adds something else that Jesus proclaimed peace both to people who were near to God and to people who were far away from God. People who were both Jews, the near, and people who were Gentiles, the far away. And he offers the same peace with God to every single one of them. Every single one. And verse 18 tells us, that all people have the same access to our same Father through the same Holy Spirit. So in other words, in the body of Christ, there's no, there's no coach in first class. There's no JV team in varsity. There's no aristocrats and serfs. There's no division between the people of God. That we are all one having the same access to the same God through the same Spirit with the same privileges. And all of these things lead to this marvelous conclusion, verses 19 to 22, that as we remember who we were and celebrate what Jesus has achieved, then the purpose of that is so that we would grow into oneness in Christ. That we would grow into oneness in Christ. If you're a Gentile Christian, then you are no longer a stranger and an alien. You are no longer a stranger and an alien. I don't know if you've ever watched one of these, but they're pretty impressive. Uh, when they have citizenship ceremonies in our country, maybe you've been to one, maybe you've seen one. I've seen just a portion of one. They're an emotional deal. They really are. As people who have longed to become citizens of the United States of America, all of a sudden have that privilege. And they stand before a judge and they make their vows and then they are told that they have become citizens of the United States. And you should see these people. Many of them cry. Why? Because becoming a citizen of the United States is a great and good and glorious thing. It really is. I've been to over a dozen countries around the world. Uh, I have read about and, and studied dozens more. And I can tell you this, as an American citizen, the U.S. is still my favorite. There have been places that I have been where when I got back, I literally kissed the ground when the, the plane touched down. 
I was so happy to be home. But do you know what is even better than being a citizen of the United States? Being a citizen of heaven. Being a member of God's household. A member of God's household, his family. We have so much more as Christians than we have as Americans. Are we abundantly blessed to be Americans? Yes. But we have so much more that we celebrate and enjoy as fellow citizens with God's own people and members of God's own house. So much more. Because God's house is built out of a wide diversity of people. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles, the New Testament, uh, inspired authors and their ministry, and the Old Testament, the prophets, their writings and ministry. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In the ancient world, the cornerstone was the the stone you laid first, and it was laid out in such a way so that everything else wound up square and solid. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone of what is built. And the whole structure is joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, Paul doubles down. He goes further. He says, it's not just a temple. It's the dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I like to read my Old Testament. I enjoy reading it. And I, and I try to imagine and envision what it would have been like to see some of these things. And some of the things that I have really wanted to see, like I would really love to have been there at the Red Sea Crossing. I'd have loved to stand on the beach when Jonah got hacked on the, onto the beach. I would think that would have been amazing. <laughs> I would love to see what he looked like, right? I would have loved to see Elijah on Mount Carmel. I think that would have been amazing. Call fire from heaven. And then later to go up in a chariot of fire. By the way, Lord, if you're taking votes, I'd like one of those. (laughs) Right? I would like to not die and instead be carried to heaven on a chariot of fire. Chariots and horses of God. That'd be amazing, right? But one of my favorite things is to imagine what the Shekinah glory presence of God looked like. That as as you've crossed through the Red Sea and you're at Sinai and the glory cloud of the glory of God descends upon the mountain and you see fire and smoke and hear a loud trumpet blast and you hear the voice of God speak from the mountain and it's incredible. And then that same glory cloud came and rested on the tabernacle over the Ark of the Covenant, and God's presence dwelt there. And when Solomon built the temple, God's presence dwelt there, and you could see it. You could see it. And I think, boy, that would have been incredible. That would have been amazing. Can you imagine what that's like? But you know what Paul says here? He's saying that the dwelling place of God is not in a place. 
It's not a building. It's not in a tent. It's not on a mountain. It's in the people of God as they're joined together. And the people of God. You know, that's why Pentecost Sunday was last Sunday. You know why the flames appeared above the heads of all those filled by the Spirit? Because it was an indicator that the presence of God dwelt in them the same as it dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle and on the mountain. That little fire was a little indicator of the glory of God present in their life. And what Paul is saying is this, is that we, the people of God, are the place where God's own presence takes up residence and dwells and lives. And if that's true... And it is. And there are a couple very important implications for us. That if God has gone to all of this enormous effort in fulfillment of a spectacular plan to bring about salvation of all kinds of people and bring them into one body, then it tells us a couple very important things. That first of all, God intends for the body of Christ to be unified. And unified doesn't mean that racial or ethnic or linguistic or cultural or other distinctions vanish. All of those will be retained. Remember the, the, the description in, in the book of Revelation. It says, I saw people of every tongue and language and tribe and people gathered around the throne. How do you know that that's true? Because all those cultural distinctions are retained even in heaven, apparently. Because God does not intend just to meld everybody together into just a, a, a singular entity, but to retain all of those distinctions and to bring unity in diversity. In the diversity of people. And it's a a beautiful thing and a glorious thing. And I think as I look at the world and as I look at the church here in America that we are in some considerable danger of losing our unity or of never attaining it in the first place in the way that God intends. And by that I mean, first of all, that the church is very often divided among, along racial and ethnic lines just like the world. And that should not be. That should not be. It must not be. Lots of Christians would happily welcome a person of another race to attend their church, but not to be their friend not to serve as a leader in their church, not to serve as their pastor, not to be a future mate for them or for their child. Lots of us love missions, but we get uncomfortable with our fellow citizens whose culture or whose race or whose ethnicity or whose language is different from ours. But men and women, this is a serious implication of the gospel. This is part of the good works that we have been called to walk in and to do. Jesus saved us, the Scripture says, to do good works 
and He has prepared in advance that we might walk in them. And this is part of that. This is part of that. To make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of every type and kind of human across the planet means necessarily that we love and welcome and form Jesus-like family relationships with every type and kind and variety of person and we walk alongside them and invite them to follow Jesus right alongside us, their brothers and sisters. Amen? And if that's not where our hearts are today, and I confess, if I'm honest, there are areas of this that I struggle with intensely. It's uncomfortable to go outside of yourself enough to try to understand and walk in someone else's shoes if they come from a different place that, or, or from a different cultural background or a different language uh, that's spoken at home than what I do. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. And it's much easier just to be like, you do your thing over there, I'll do my thing over here, and we'll, we'll just proclaim our unity in the body of Christ from a distance. Right? But brothers and sisters, God intends that when He made one people out of all kinds of people, that some of that would be reflected here as well as in eternity. That what we do here is preparation for the kingdom of God. Amen? And that we would look like and act like what we will look like and act like there, here. Now, second issue, I think, applies specifically to all of us. Here, in, here at Chillicothe Bible Church, and that is how we handle the reunion and resumption of functioning in this building as a church. By the way, just so we're clear, our church has never closed. Our church building was closed. But our church has never ceased operating. And there's a big risk as we reunite in this building of giving in to an immature or a divisive response to this pandemic. I am not naive enough to assume that all of us were just all in a perfect agreement and harmony about how our federal government or how our state government or how your church leaders have handled this thing. I'm not here to argue with anyone what the right response is or would have been. I know this, though, that as churches have reopened across the country, that division within them has often followed. Some people have felt things went way too fast. And some people felt it didn't go nearly fast enough. And I don't even know why we had to shut the building down. Should have just gone ahead. And if they arrest us, pay the fine. You know? And, and I don't know where you fall on that spectrum of opinion. But men and women, our church needs to look at this passage and consider well its gospel-based implications 
for us. Getting back to the full functioning of our church and all of its ministries may take a while. I can't even tell you when that date will be. I can't tell you when we're going to have a nursery again. I can't tell you whether we're going to have a wana in the fall. Uh, I can't tell you when we're going to get to have coffee in the cafe next door. I don't know the answers to some of these questions. Because we don't know how things are going to go. But here's what we do know. That Jesus died to create one new humanity. And for us to sinfully create divisions along the lines of politics or personal convictions is not in accordance with what Jesus designed died to create. Amen? Jesus died to create one unified body through one who come to the same one Father through the same Holy Spirit as one people of God. And He brought us from a place of alienation and sin into tight face-to-face close personal relationship of love with Him. And He intends for us as an outgrowth of that, to also have tight, personal, face-to-face relationships with each other. And to recognize and embrace one another as brother and as sister, and to understand that those are not just Christianese polite terms that we refer to each other as. That they reflect something real. That's realer in many cases than our own blood family is that we're meant to be for real brothers and sisters. I have one blood brother, two blood sisters. And if any one of them asked me for anything, if it's in my power to give it to them, I would. Why? Because they're my brother. It also means that when we get together, we don't always agree on everything. I don't know if any of you have met any horns, but we're an opinionated bunch. Okay, that's a safe statement, right? If six of us to get together, there are at least six. There are at least six, and probably seven or eight opinions on any one issue. But many times what that means, because we're brothers and sisters, is we have to swallow that and love each other regardless. And and so as we join together, whatever our convictions, here's where I think we need to come down. There are two things we have to hold tightly together. Number one, we need to give each other grace. We need to give each other grace, big, heaping spoonfuls of it. Give each other grace. Room to disagree. Room to think the other person might be off half a bubble, out of plumb with where they should be, right? Give each other grace. And number two, to pursue the unity of the body that Christ died to create. Now, holding grace and unity together may require that sometimes you swallow hard and you do some things you'd rather not. 
or do them in a way that you'd rather not. Now, I don't love the way that we celebrated communion today. I much prefer both the symbolism and the reality of sharing out of the same dish. I like that better. But we didn't do that. Why? Because we're concerned about one another and protecting each other too. And, and being unified as a body may mean that we don't all get our way all the time. And we're going to have to give grace. So, we have to do both. We have to love each other as brothers and sisters, give grace, pursue unity, so that we fulfill God's purpose of, of creating one new humanity out of all of our differences. One new humanity. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, um, this has probably not been an easy message to hear, and it has not been an easy one to give. Because, Father, there are matters of, um, of sin that we are confronted by when we consider what Jesus died to produce and what we have often done with it. And that we have fostered division rather than sought to heal them. We have remained at a distance instead of closing the gap. And we've allowed our differences to divide rather than become something that we enjoy and celebrate and something that we feel adds to the glory of the unity of the body. Father, help us. Help us, Father, to defeat the sin of racism in our own hearts. And then and then in our society too. Father, help Your church to be the people who shine the light brightest and most. We know there's no political solution to all these things, but we know there's a gospel solution. Father, help us to reflect that. Father, I pray too for us as a church, as Chillicothe Bible Church, that we would be unified and give each other grace in all these things. That um, as our church resumes, as we worship some online, some here in the building, some at first service, some at second, and none of us in the way that we fully want. Father, help us to enjoy, first of all, what you have given and to celebrate and um, be glad of that. And Father, help us to have wisdom in how to resume these other things that we also want to do as part of our ministry. Uh, help us, Father, to, to stay unified and to give each other grace as we pursue this. Father, we need your help. And we pray that you would offer it to us by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.